0: Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, and your speaker and leader for this uh, experience we have each week of considering ministry leadership, particularly practical issues related to leading in local church settings or in Christian organizations. Uh, On the podcast, I oftentimes talk about organizational issues or strategic issues, but sometimes it's also important to consider personal issues. And so this is the second of a two-part podcast on parenting in the ministry. Now, just to briefly set the stage from part one, um, our family uh, has uh, three children. I have two sons and a daughter. My daughter's the middle child. Uh, my first son was born during the first year of my first full-time pastorate. And then shortly after that, about four or five years, uh, we had had three children, and we moved across country to plant a church. And when we became church planters, uh, my children were five years old, two years old, and six weeks old. Our children uh, essentially grew up in that church that we planted. I was the pastor for a few years and then worked for the Northwest Baptist Convention, but we remained members of the church and very actively engaged in the church that I had planted. Um, Near the end of high school for my two youngest children was when I became the president of Gateway Seminary. So our children grew up uh, in a ministry context, very much engaged in church leadership and seeing their parents engaged in leadership roles in that church. Um, Last week I said that, this presentation, uh, both both last week and this week, is a result of both my own study and reflection, a dialogue with my wife, and also dialogue with my children. Some time ago, I don't remember the exact time frame, but some time ago I, I sat down with my children and we had a, a round table conversation about, about our family, about what we did well with them when they were growing up, and about some things we could have done more effectively. And those con- that conversation significantly informed uh, this presentation. I'd also like to reiterate from last week, we're not a perfect family, we're not a model family, Uh, we think we are a healthy family. Uh, We did some things right, we did some things wrong. But overall, the trajectory of the uh, progress that we made produced uh, children that uh, grew up actively engaged in church life and in serving Jesus Christ and then uh, moved on to college, joined churches, and now as adults, uh, my two sons are... uh, Uh, work in secular occupations and are very much engaged in church leadership, uh, both personally and financially, being supportive of pastors they believe in and are trying to help them to fulfill their visions. And then my daughter married a pastor, and they are also actively engaged in uh, pastoral leadership in a church that they've started uh, and are trying to lead through the early years of formation. So uh, with that bit of background in mind, let me also just quickly review Uh, The context from last week and that is I said that ministry families are unique but not as unique as we might think. Uh, Just like other professions like coaching or teaching or the military or uh, medicine, uh, our professional responsibilities do have an impact on how we do family life. But just like we teach all the families from all the other occupations in our church how to find a way to be healthy families in the context of the work they have, we must do the same thing as ministry leaders. And so being a ministry leadership family does not preclude effective parenting that produces healthy children and ultimately a healthy family. Um, we talked last week about uh, some that while we have some uniqueness, we have a lot of sameness about how we have to do the same things we teach other families to do. But then after laying that foundation, I did start teaching that, uh, this section on the fact that ministry parenting and ministry family life does have some spe- do have some special needs or special issues and do require some, uh, a special focus to solve some of these problems. Uh, last week I said, first of all, that we should encourage children to be themselves. And I talked about how to do that by protecting them from the expectations of others, helping your children learn who they are, and how to maximize the life that God intends for them and to avoid projecting uh, your expectations and desires on your children. Then we move to a second major idea, and that is allow your children to develop spiritually at their own pace. And I gave several suggestions of what that looked like in our family and what it might look like in yours. First, I said, set some minimum church attendance and ministry participation standards. Uh, Our family had this phrase, when the whole church uh, gathers, the whole family goes. And so our church gathered uh, once a week for Bible study and once a week for worship and once a month for worship on Sunday night. And when the whole church gathered, the whole family went. Uh, No exceptions, no discussion, no, no no controversy. But then the second thing I said was to allow children to opt out of some optional activities. You know, we give every other family in the church not only the privilege, but the responsibility of choosing which parts of church life they're going to engage, which Bible studies they'll participate in, which classes they'll take, which ministries activities they'll support, um, which trip, mission trips they'll go on. We do that, that for, for every family in the church and every child of every family in the church, and the same thing has to be done for our own children. I even went so far as to say that you should allow your children to, to visit and perhaps even join other churches, especially in their high school years. This was a very productive part of our parenting and helping our children learn how to go to another church, how to visit another church, how to even consider joining another church, so that when they moved away to college, they'd already had that experience with the safety net of a good home to dialogue and debrief what they were experiencing. And frankly, all three of our children did join churches while they were in college and had very productive experiences Uh, Church life during that time. And then finally, I concluded last week by saying we should allow open discussion and debate of spiritual issues. You know, um, sometimes uh, ministry families uh, and ministry parents say, well, you know, our children need to uh, adopt our values. They need to own what we believe. They need to, to be able to be apologists for our faith. Well, that's a high expectation for a 12 year old. I think it's more important that children find in the home and in the relationship with parents the freedom to openly discuss and debate spiritual issues. And I gave these examples last week. Some of the conversations that I remember with my children started this way. I'm not sure there is a God. Another one, uh, what's wrong with going to a strip club? (laughs) Another one was, uh, why is God allowing this to happen to me? And then another challenging conversation started this way. Why doesn't God ever answer my prayers? Now, when I heard those questions, uh, I knew that... We had some serious dialogue ahead of us, uh, some long discussions, sometimes it went late into the nights. sometimes it were picked up and carried over day after day after day. But I also knew that our children were processing on what it meant to really own their faith, and it was my responsibility to allow that open discussion and debate to help them uh, to develop spiritually at their own pace. So. Uh, Some special focus issues, number one, encourage your children to be themselves, and number two, allow your children to develop spiritually at their own pace. Now number three, and now starting this new material for this week's podcast, number three, keep your ultimate goal in focus, and your ultimate goal is spiritually growing, emotionally healthy, socially mature, independent adults. Now let me say that again because it's a mouthful. Your ultimate goal is spiritually growing, emotionally healthy, socially mature, independent adults. Now, to help you accomplish that goal, first, resist evaluating your children's development prematurely. The proverb says, train up a child, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So many times it's tempting to evaluate our parenting by looking at our 13 or 14-year-old children and saying, oh my goodness, this child has all kinds of doubts, all kinds of concerns, uh, they're, they have small rebellions or even sometimes large ones, uh, they don't believe what I believe, they're not, they're not uh, owning what I own, they don't participate in every activity the church has, oh my goodness, something's wrong with my child. Well, resist evaluating your children's development too soon. For example... We are not trying to produce spiritually growing, emotionally healthy, socially mature, dependent 14-year-olds. We're trying to produce independent adults. And in order to produce people who have these characteristics or qualities I've just described, your children are going to have to go through some painful growing experiences. They're going to have to make some mistakes. They're going to have to make some choices that you know are not the best choices but will lead them to understand the consequences of those choices. They're going to have to go through a process of development, and it's, it's, it's important that you not evaluate that development prematurely. A number of years ago, uh, James Dobson wrote about the importance of not really evaluating your parenting until your children reach their mid to late 20s. He said give your children the opportunity to go through the full process of becoming adults before you evaluate uh, where they are and, what, and, and how you did as a parent. Now, I know that sounds risky because you're thinking, well, then it's too late to change, and yes, it is. But that's where the faith part comes in. You have to believe that if you do the right things, trusting God all along the way, that ultimately he'll bring about the goal of a spiritually growing, emotionally healthy, socially mature, independent adult. Now, another aspect of this, besides resist evaluating too early, is to encourage your children through their struggles and take the long view, understanding, that they must experience some difficulty in order to really grow and strengthen their faith. One of the hardest things about parenting is is watching your children go through difficult times. Now, these difficulties can come from two broad sources, and they're both extremely hard uh, for parents. First, some difficulties come because of the choices children make. And those choices can uh, be catastrophic in some sense, but in most cases, they're simply troublesome. What I mean is uh, a child will, will, will choose to be responsible at school and face some consequences for that or choose to make bad decisions in relationships and bear consequences for that. A child may make bad decisions with money and bear consequences with that. Uh, these are not catastrophic choices, they're just troublesome choices. And one of the hardest things about parenting is allowing children to make these choices when you know the result or the end that's going to come, and yet you still have to allow it because you know it's a part of a child learning and growing and developing their own understanding of God, their own understanding of obedience, their own understanding of faith. Uh, It's a part of a child really coming to grow into that independent adult you want them to become. Our children faced a number of challenges. I'll, I won't disclose those. I, I don't think that would be appropriate to, to do, but I'll just say in broad categories that uh, they struggled. One of our children had a lot of relational disappointments. Another one had some significant health struggles, and another one faced some uh, serious losses in his life. Uh, these kinds of things uh, were sometimes as a result of their choices, but And a lot of other cases were a result of the other source of difficulty, and that is circumstances outside their control. When these things happen to our children, uh, it's important for us to keep the ultimate focus and our ultimate goal in mind. You know, sometimes Christian parents, particularly ministry parents, think that their goal is to protect their children from all evil, keep them from having any difficulty, uh, protect them at all costs from from any criticism or, or any disappointment and to do all they can to prohibit anything from outside their control impacting them as a person. Well, uh, that, 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 that isn't a worthy, that isn't a worthy parenting goal, nor is it an effective parenting strategy. It's more important to keep the goal in focus. The goal is a spiritually growing, emotionally healthy, socially mature, independent adult, and to recognize that the struggles that your children have to go through are part of getting to that ultimate goal being accomplished. That preventing those struggles, um, trying to mitigate those struggles, making those struggles go away, that's not necessarily the best strategy. Instead, your better strategy is encouragement. To encourage your children through their struggles. To say things like this, listen, this is hard for you. And I know it's hard for you now, but if you'll just uh, stay faithful to God and keep trusting Him and keep doing the right thing, Over the next weeks or months or maybe even years, this is going to turn out in a good way. You have to believe God will do that for you. And then perhaps even share some stories of how that's happened in your life to help your child understand that the difficulties of life can be endured and that you can encourage them along the way without taking away what they're going through. Another uh, approach of encouragement is to not only help your children take the long view, but to help them understand that you're going to be with them no matter what happens or, or what they've done or, or what that means. I think about a friend of mine whose son committed a pretty serious crime. And he told me, he said, you know, my son has a judge, my son has a lawyer, and my son has a pastor. Uh, what my son really needs me to be is his father. And so he said, I'm just going to stick with him. I'm going to encourage him. I'm going to stand by him. I'm going to let him know that I love him and that while I don't condone what he did, I won't try to keep him from having the judgment that he's going to face. Uh, I can't mitigate the consequences of his action. I can let him know that nothing will change the fact that I love him, I believe the best for him, and I want to stand with him as he works all this out in his life. Man, that was good parenting and helped me to see uh, in a very clear way uh, what it, What it really means to stand in an encouraging way with your child while they go through the difficulties of life. Some they've invited on themselves and some that just came because uh, they live in a broken world. But standing with them and encouraging them and helping them to to grow toward the ultimate goal. So don't evaluate prematurely. Uh, don't get too caught up in uh, the struggles or failures of a 9-year-old or a 13-year-old or even a 16-year-old. Recognize that uh, your children have to go through the full process of coming to maturity before you can look back and see uh, all that was being, all that was uh, involved in getting them to the place where they are a fully functioning, independent adult in these healthy ways. Well, another uh, aspect of special focus in ministry parenting is that you do have to protect your children from what I call the ugly side of ministry. Now, uh, there's a progression in this, uh, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, but let's begin by understanding that there is an ugly side of ministry. Uh, There are really difficult, bad things that happen in the lives of people, and sometimes those people lash out at us in leadership because of their pain. So, What can you do to protect your children from this so-called ugly side of ministry? Well, first, be careful what you talk about, who you talk about, and the image you give your children of church people and church ministry. Some ministry parents make the mistake of talking too openly and too freely in their children's presence about what's going on in their church. Now, listen, I understand Uh, Ministry parents talk about church all the time. It's because that's the focus of our lives. And and I'm not asking you to never talk about your church or any of its problems or any of the challenges or any of the things you're doing there to deal with difficulty or difficult people. What I am asking you to do is have discretion with your children. Uh, Children are hearing more and seeing more than you think they are. And so it's very important that you talk uh, very carefully in the presence of your children about Uh, what's happening at church, what's going on with church people, and the struggles and difficulties you may be having, especially the struggles and difficulties. Because here's what sometimes happens. Uh, You may have a bad meeting and you may uh, have angry words expressed or someone may criticize you or, or attack you in some way. And you come home and you debrief that with your wife in the kitchen while she's preparing the evening meal. And you vent your frustrations and your anger and your difficulty with her. But your children are in the next room and they're listening to every word. And they're understanding that there are church people that are out to get their father out to get their mother. And and they don't understand why that happens and what that means. Well, the next day you go to work and you get it all resolved. The person calls and apologizes or you go by their office and work out the difficulty. And you call your wife on the way home and you say, hey, listen, I met with so-and-so today and uh, we got the problem solved. It's all worked out. Man, I'm really glad for that. But your children don't ever hear the resolution. And they go to church the following Sunday and they're looking at these people around them and saying, Why are these people mean it to my father? Why are they upset with my mother? What's wrong with them? And resentment starts building. So be very careful what you say and and when you say it. And be very careful to protect the image of church people uh, that your children develop over the years. Second, don't let younger children attend church meetings where you know conflict will happen or where difficulty will be expressed. Um, find a way for younger children to be apart from that kind of experience. Uh, There's just no reason for them to be present. Uh, One of the most uh, challenging and painful meetings of my life was when I was uh, actually elected executive director of the Northwest Baptist Convention. There was one person that day who really spoke against me. Um, My family was present. My children were there. And they had to hear him lay out all the reasons why he thought I was a very bad choice for the position. Now, when the vote happened, it was overwhelming in my favor. And so the children felt affirmed by that, and I think ultimately were able to process what they heard that day. But um, I, I was uh, not prepared for the attack that came. I didn't anticipate it, and so I wasn't I didn't take any steps to keep my children from hearing it. But we had to debrief afterwards what that meant and help them understand that while this person expressed some very strong opinion and um, made some very strong statements against me, that this did not represent the views of the majority and it it didn't even necessarily mean this was a bad person, it just meant that we had to work with him to help him understand uh, maybe who I really was and what I really could accomplish if given the opportunity. But nevertheless, you have to protect your children from meetings where you know things like that may happen. Now, the third suggestion about protecting your children, though, is this. And that is introduce this ugly side of ministry uh, to children as they mature and help them develop a realistic understanding of the church. Uh, Help them understand what's happening uh, in an age-appropriate way. Uh, You know, preschool children have no way of processing. School-age children start to process and understand the world around them and how how to understand it and how to make sense of it. Uh, teenagers are definitely highly inquisitive about what's going on and need to be fully engaged uh, in those processes so that they can learn how to manage relationships and how to manage difficulty and how to develop perspective uh, when things are difficult or, or things are, are, are full of conflict. So you have to make an individual decision about your children at, at their developmental stage and where they are socially and where they are spiritually where they are psychologically. But what I'm simply trying to communicate is this. Uh, The ugly side of ministry has to be introduced to children gradually, and they have to have it introduced to them in a way that they can understand. And then they have to have help to spiritually process what's happening to them. So that by the time they reach high school, they should understand that, uh, that church is a place where there's all kinds of people who have all kinds of perspectives. And that the supportive people, we enjoy them, the critical people, we have to learn how to manage them, respond to them, and relate to them. And that that's not just how church works, but that's really how life works. And so introducing children to this in the appropriate way helps them to avoid bitterness, resentment, anger, and it helps them to avoid developing a premature frustration with uh, church people or church situations. I think about one particular pastor that went through a very dark time in his church, which ultimately, ultimately led to his being fired. And his, uh, his middle school son uh, experienced those meetings and was not fully prepared to uh, deal with them, and then carried that anger and resentment on into his high school years. Now, he did stay engaged with the church because his father went on to, to another church where he became a member and then to another church where he ultimately became a pastor again. And this son, out of really respect for his father, uh, stayed engaged in church, but it was very difficult for him. He went off to college, and uh, that's where I met him. I started talking with him about his, own fu- about his future, and he, he indicated that uh, he had some real bitterness and anger in his life because of his church experiences, and because of that... He was really uh, reluctant to consider any kind of future in ministry, but all of us around him saw very clearly a a, a lot of evidence that God might be calling him into a ministry leadership role. And finally, one day I asked him uh, why he was unwilling to consider God's call, and he said it because of what happened to my father. And because when it happened, I I didn't know how to process it. I was unprepared for it, and I didn't really have the full understanding of, 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 of how to deal with it, and so... Um, so I'm just not willing to go there and expose my own children to that experience. And then I asked him this question, I said, well, what's your father doing today? And he said, well, he's a pastor. And I said, well, apparently your father was able to move past this uh, event in his life. And I think if you went and talked with him or talked with someone else, um, they might be, they might be able to help you do the same thing. And the good news is he heard that counsel and he did get the help he needed. And he's been a very effective pastor now for about the last 10 years. My point is simply this children exposed prematurely to church conflict or to the ugly side of ministry uh, can bear those scars for a long time. So we have to be very wise of how and when we expose our children to this kind of to this side of ministry. And then we have to be very careful that we help them process what's happening to them and move through it as effectively as we can so that it doesn't have these long-term effects. Well, uh, finally, special focus point to help you with ministry pairing, and that is uh, spend time with your children. Now, I want to give you several suggestions that have helped me do this over the years. Now, you may say, man, how did you ever find time to prioritize uh, with your children? Well, I was a busy pastor, and then I was a denominational executive, and now I've been a seminary president. You don't find time. You prioritize time, and that's how you spend time with your children. So here are some things that I think will help you. Number one, uh, build your hobby or your social life around your children's activities. When my children were growing up, they were all three athletes. They played multiple sports. And so we were uh, always going to somebody's practice or somebody's game or somebody's track meet or someone's uh, gymnastics meet. We were always involved somewhere with someone. And we made it a priority uh, to invest ourselves in our children and to do that those activities with them. You see, when you show up at what's important to someone else, it communicates high value to them. And so I've been to uh, gymnastics meets, women's, uh, girls' basketball games, uh, and all kinds of other sporting events that, uh, frankly, weren't that exciting, except for one thing. Uh, They were exciting because my child was participating, and when he or she looked over to the sideline, they saw me standing there smiling, and they knew that I valued what they valued, which gave them a sense of esteem and value. I remember one time we had a foster child living with us for a short time, and it came time to go to my youngest son's soccer game. His name is Caleb. This girl said, I don't want to go to the game. And my wife said, well, I understand that, but you need to get your shoes on because we're going. And she said, but I don't want to go to the game because I'm just not into soccer. And my wife turned around with a smile and said, well, I'm not into soccer either, but I am into Caleb. Now get your shoes on. You know, that single statement summarizes this point so clearly. When you make a decision to go to the dance recital, it's not because you like watching nine-year-olds dance. It's because you value what your child values and you want to demonstrate uh, your participation in their lives by showing up at their activities. I've been to speech contests, spelling bees, school musicals, Uh, all kinds of activities over the years that I carved out time to participate in because it was important to my child. If it's important to my child, it's important to me to show up there to communicate high value. So build hobby and social time around children's activities. Now, a second suggestion is to schedule your children's activities on your appointment calendar and keep those commitments. My children know and have known for years that I'm booked sometimes months, even a year or two in advance on my speaking calendar. But they also know that when they brought home their ball schedule or they brought home the production schedule for their play or when they brought home uh, the schedule of their, their their speech contests and when those were gonna be held, uh, that they would say, Dad, hey, I've got my schedule. And I would sit down with them and I would put those activities on my calendar. And I remember one time sitting off with my daughter and saying, hey, you've got 15 basketball games. And I can calendar 11 of them, but four of them I already have made speaking commitments, and and I've given my word that I'll be there. So I need to honor those commitments. And my daughter smiled and said, "Dad, no problem. You got a job. I get it. But thanks for coming the other times when I know you can be there." And so I put the cal on my calendar those 11 other ball games, and I, and I showed up for them. Now you may say, "Well, what if something came up?" Well. If it was something that was a true emergency, and those are really rare, then I would take care of the emergency. But if something came up where someone said, hey, can I meet with you on Tuesday at 4 o'clock, I would say, you know, I've got an appointment at that time. Can I meet with you a different time? And 99 times out of 100, the person would say, sure, I can come earlier in the day, or yeah, let's get together the next day or or, or a few days after that. All I had to say was, I have an appointment, or I already have a commitment on my calendar. When can I meet with you at another time? You know, my children told me later in life that they never resented when I wasn't there because they knew that once I made a commitment to be there, I always showed up. So schedule your children's activities on your calendar. And then third, use the flexibility of your ministry schedule to be actively involved with your children. As I said in the first week's podcast, uh, my pastoral schedule and lots of times my denominational leadership schedule required evening activities and meetings. That's fine. But compensate for that by taking off from 3 to 5 or 3 to 7 in the afternoon uh, to go and be with your children. Uh, go home and be with them after school and re- debrief their day and engage them in that time slot. Or if they have an after-school activity, show up for that. As I said in the earlier podcast, there, was, there were many times I showed up for after-school activities. There would be 15 or 20 moms there, and I'd be the only dad. But hey, I was going back to work at 6:30 that night where I had two visitation appointments scheduled to meet with families about their relationship with God. So, why wouldn't I take time in the afternoon to invest in my family when I was going to take time in the evening to continue to work? Then a fourth way to spend time with your children is to take your vacation days and find creative ways to build family memories. You may say, "Well, I don't have any money to go anywhere on vacation. Well, I didn't say go somewhere on vacation. I said take all your vacation days, every single one of them. Uh, take the time off and invest it in your family by doing family activities, by uh, engaging in uh, in family trips when it's financially possible, and by involving your children or, or by doing things that involve your children in, in activities that they'll enjoy. Uh, I have a good friend who has four small children, including twins, and he and his family have taken up camping. Now. When I asked him about that, I said, you like camping? He said, no, I like being with my children without distraction in a cheap place, and that's camping. And so he found a way uh, to do something his children enjoyed, family bonding, that didn't cost a lot of money, that really enabled him to build some cool family memories. Then the other thing I would say about this, not only take your vacation days, but uh, find other ways to do this. And a friend of mine many years ago told me this, never let school stand in the way of your children's education. And what he meant by that was he periodically took his children out of school or away from their homeschooling routine and took them on trips with him. If he had a ministry trip, he'd take a child with him. If the family could arrange to go, he'd take the whole family. Uh, he, he, He tried to capitalize on the small expense budget that he had to get his family to go at his personal expense along with him just so they could see new places and meet new people and do new things. So take your vacation time and use your ministry schedule to build family memories. And then... Make family meal times a priority. Now, I know that families go 15 different directions every day, and it's impossible to eat three meals a day together. I get that. But make it a priority to try to eat one meal together every day. Now, this has changed for us over the years. When our children were very small, it was easy to do that as the evening meal. But once our children started being in uh, school activities and clubs in the community and ball teams, That evening meal became more challenging, so we made it breakfast. Uh, We'd come to the table and we'd try to have a 15 or 20-minute time where we came to the table, we all ate together, we talked about our day, um, we, we, we read some scripture, we prayed, we did it all, and we got out the door. Now, we weren't able to do that every day, but we tried to do it as many days as possible. So here's the principle, or here's the practice. Set a goal of having one meal together every day. And don't be legalistic about when it has to be or how long it has to be, but just try to get around the table and uh, turn off the phones, turn off the TV, uh, and then focus on each other while you talk and eat and debrief about the day. Now one thing my wife did that really helped with this in a very, very practical way was she became an expert crock pot cook. Now I'm not exaggerating, my wife owns five crock pots and they are from the smallest to the largest. And my wife learned how to make all kinds of things in those different size crockpots. And as our family grew and then shrunk over the years, she's learned to use the different sizes to keep up the practice. What she does, uh, what she would do would be put a meal together, put it in the crockpot, so that when we all came together in the evening from the various places that we had to come, uh, there wasn't a long meal preparation time. We could literally be eating five to ten minutes after we all bounced in the door. And so that's another way uh, to solve this problem of, Evening activities, ball teams, after-school events, dad having to go out and make a visit or have a counseling appointment, uh, to do this kind of crock-pot cooking, my wife says, really helped change the way we were able to prioritize family time together. And then one last thing about spending time with your children, and I want to speak especially to those of you who are church planters, and that is try to separate your workspace from your family space. For the first uh, five years that I was a church planter, um, our church offices were in our home. Uh, we were fortunate that we had kind of a downstairs area that had a, uh, like a family room that we were able to convert to a church office area. So the family basically lived upstairs in our house. And the downstairs was this small family room converted to a church office in our garage, which was converted to our church storage area uh, when we were portable and having to move things in every weekend. But the reason this was important for us to have a space that was designated church space and a space that was designated family space is it gave the children understanding that when I came upstairs, I, I was fair game. Uh, they could spend time with me. They could talk to me. They could interact with me. But when I went downstairs, my Dad's at work, and we need to let him work so that he can come upstairs and be with us. Now, I realize that's just a, a very practical thing we were able to do because the way our house was laid out. But I would simply say, you know, separate your workspace from your family space as much as possible and develop the, opportun- develop the, the discipline of being at home and available uh, when you're at home so that the, the children knew that when I came up those stairs, I was available during that time that I was a church planter. Well, you may have to do that by uh, having your workspace be a Starbucks and your home space be your home space or, you know, your workspace be a rented facility or something like that. But it just helps that your family knows that when you're home, you're really home and make 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 the plan to do that as much as possible. Well, ministry parenting. It's possible to have a healthy family. It's possible to raise children in the context of ministry leadership that are healthy, functioning, spiritually mature, independent adults. It can be done. I know you can do it. And leading is not just about organizational change or strategic practices. Leading is also about creating families that are healthy. So when it comes to your family, lead on.